Pat's on vacation this week, and he asked me to fill in. Um, and this is the God and Country series. You probably saw the slide up there. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Tim Brierley. I'm an elder here at DBC. And uh, I didn't get a chance to put a, uh, a title on this message before it got, uh, got onto your uh, little thing there. Anyway, if I were to put a title on it, I think I would say uh, how to be a witness without being a thumper. And we'll talk about what it means to be a thumper as we unpack this subject. Um, as Christians, I see that often we, we have two extremes. We have militant Christians and we have those who withdraw a lot of times. It's hard to be in that middle. You know, and that militant Christian is the, the one that, uh, you know, shares his beliefs, and that's good to share your beliefs, but in a way that is uh, a little more uh, in your face. Uh, and, uh, and those are what I call the Bible thumpers. They, uh, they know they're, they got their scripture, they want to thump you on the head for it, uh, get, you to, get you to believe what they believe. And it's not so much that it's bad that they have a scripture for everything, but it's kind of the way they use it. You know, it's, it's a weapon. They beat you with it. And uh, kind of the other extreme is, uh, is to just withdraw. Uh, well, I'm just, I'm not comfortable. I'm not going to say anything to, to anybody. I'm just going to, you know, well, it's my, it's, it's my own personal belief. And, you know, God didn't really call us to, to be withdrawn. And, uh, and sometimes it's just hard to share um, you know your your beliefs in a, in a world that needs to hear them in a way that uh, is acceptable. And so, uh, um, you know, I was thinking of a, a few times I've had some friends over the years that were you might put in the Bible thumper category, and I uh, thought about you know being on the receiving end of that and you know kind of how it feels. And it really, you know, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You kind of just feel rejected and judged by. By, by all of that, and, and uh, I was thinking about it, and he's like, where's, where's, you know, where's that love? The, you, you were in Sunday school, you heard about the love of, of the Christianity and the, and the Bible and God, and you're like, and Jesus, and you're like, wow, where did where'd that all go? And, you know, I was thinking of uh, the woman caught in adultery in, in John chapter 8, you know, she's, she's in, a, in a bad way, I mean, <laughs> they want to kill her. I mean, and they have legally the right to kill her, and they're tr- trying to get Jesus to say, let's kill her. And, uh, and yet he, he figures out a way to just say the right thing, to convict the Pharisees of their sin, and to forgive her. And uh, it's like, you know, wow, how did you do that? How, how, did, how, do you, how do you cut a path right down the middle between the two extremes? And... Uh, Fortunately, you know, God's word has some things to say about that, and we'd like to unpack some of those, uh, some of those truths today. And so our passage for today is Matthew 5, uh, 13 through 16. If you have your Bibles, you might turn, or if you have a, you know, one of these, you might, uh, might have it on there. It doesn't really matter. Um, and we're going we're gonna to read through this for a second. So Matthew 5, 13 through 16, and I'm reading from the uh, New American Standard uh, Bible. Uh, just in case you're interested. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salt again? It is no longer good for anything except to be trodden out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it in her basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify 
God, your Father who is in heaven. Now, this, uh, this passage talks about salt. And before we talk about what the Bible says about salt, let's talk about your experiences with salt. Everybody, I think, here has experience with it. Um, you know, I like beef jerky. Does anybody like beef jerky? <laughs> it has a salty flavor to it. There's something about it that tastes good. Also, um, you may have noticed you keep it for a really long time. It doesn't, doesn't rot, you know, like a piece of regular meat would. It's preserved. So there's two characteristics about beef jerky that I like. It's preserved, and it tastes good. Um, there's some other characteristics of salt. Uh, if you've ever uh, cooked and put too much of it on your food, um, you've probably found that too much can be not so good, not too tasty. And uh, some places, like the Dead Sea, for instance, is a salt lake, and it's dead, the Dead Sea because it's dead. Too much salt. So... There's, there can be too much, but looking at the positive aspects of salt, um, and I think that's what would apply here, is, is it's tasteful and it preserves. Uh, in the Bible, there are, I found 36 references to the word salt. Um, most of them are in the Old Testament. Mostly they refer to geographical locations, references to that. Uh, several of them refer to some ceremonial um, uh, things, and one of them, or a couple of them, have to do with something called a salt covenant, which is kind of interesting. Um, but doesn't really apply, I think, to what we're talking about. In the New Testament, there are six references to the word salt. All of them are kind of generally the same. They refer to the Christian's uh, influence in the world, preserving the world, and even refers to being tasteful in the world. So uh, that's kind of all how they all, all fit together, kind of the same. Um, all right, let's go back to the first half of uh, verse 13. It says here, uh, you are the salt of the earth. So, so what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? And, uh, and uh, so from our own experience, we know it means to preserve and to taste. And I think that's a pretty good way to, uh, to, to describe us as Christians, prevent decay and corruption, and to add flavor to the world around us. So we're different, we're Christians. What makes us salty? Why are we salty? Why, why should we be different? And uh, as I thought about that, there's really several things. I guess, first of all, we're all forgiven. Uh, we've, we've got this thing called salvation. Uh, we're just different because of that, and we live differently because of it, and we see the world differently. And uh, we also, because of that forgiveness, we are able to share God's love in a way that amazes the world many times. Another difference is the Holy Spirit. Um, we've got the Holy Spirit living inside us. He leads us. He guides us. He gives us uh, direction that the rest of the world doesn't have. Um, another, uh, another kind of the way those things work their way out in our lives is um, so that's a process we call sanctification. God changes us through our walk. And uh, because of that, well, we kind of stand out. Sometimes that means that we take a different path, not the easy path. We take a different path because of that. Um, we, we tell the truth when a lie would be much easier, uh, hopefully. Um, when we go to work, for those of us who are employed by somebody else, we understand that we're working under God. So when the boss isn't there, we're doing the right thing. And, uh, and that, that's not a... 
a trait that I see in, in a lot of people. Um, we have the confidence and the trust in God, so therefore, when the whole world's falling apart around us, we have that confidence. Um, because of the, the forgiveness and love that we've received, we also have the ability to share that love, and, uh, and that's part of being salty, being a Christian. But it also means sometimes that hard position that we take, you know, maybe it's uh, we have to take a hard position against sin or, or something. Sometimes it, it costs us. It could even cost us our job or our friends. So it's, uh, it cuts both ways. Um, the other, another aspect, you know, we talk about preservation, but salt makes our food taste good. And as Christians, we permeate, you know, the, God permeates us, and that should permeate our surroundings. And, uh, and actually, it kind of, I think I'd rather be around Christians than any, any other kind of person. They tend to be um, more positive. Well, you've been forgiven of your sins. I mean, what else you, could, you, could you have? I mean, you've you got to be positive about that. Um, all right, let's look at the second half of verse 13. And if you go back to that slide with the verses on it. Oh, well, that's all right. I'll just read it from here. All right, the second half says, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So we don't want to lose our saltiness. And, uh, and this statement seems to be a little, little weird. But when I looked into it, I found one source that said something interesting. It said that, the salt that they had in Palestine at that time, uh, some of it was uh, contaminated by gypsum. And uh, just because that was the source of salt, it had gypsum mix in it. That makes the salt taste really flat. And it also, um, it's not very good for preserving anything. So the two uses that we have for salt, taste and preservation, it's not any good for it. And really about the only thing you can do with it is throw it out on the ground and keep the weeds down. And uh, so people in, uh, in Palestine during the, 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 the New Testament would have understood what that, what that meant. Uh, so <clears throat> as we draw that analogy to Christians, you know, what does that mean? And, uh, you know, we, if we're contaminated by sin and we're contaminated by the world, we lose our saltiness. We lose our ability to, to speak to the world. And, and you, can't, uh, I mean, you can't call out sin if you're... If you're partaking in it so you have to there's no way that we can be salty if we're if we're uh, contaminated um <clears throat> the verse uh, the next verse actually talks about light and uh now we have experience of light all of us do um it illuminates it reflects um it's uh in even in secular uh, you know, literature, a lot of times light refers to enlightenment, understanding, um, that type of a, of a thing. And the same thing is, is true in the Bible. Um, and uh, so we're to be, Christians are to be lights in the world. And there's many references to light. Uh, here's a couple of them. Philippians 2.15. So that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. 
John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of his life. Uh, God's described as light as in 1 John 1, 5. Uh, this is the message that we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light and there, there is no darkness in him at all. So Christians are characterized as light. God is characterized as darkness. Often the devil and evil are characterized as darkness. God is characterized as light. Excuse me. Um, all right, so let's go back to uh, verse 14. And uh, it says here, if you, I'm sorry, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in, se- in heaven. So this subject of light, I don't have a lot, we don't have the time probably to develop it the same way we did salt, but in a lot of ways it's the same as salt. But the perspective is different, okay? Light you see from afar. You see a city on a hill. You see a street light from a distance. You see a car coming down the road from afar. That light you can see. It's, it's, it's far away you can see it. Salt permeates. It has to be, you know, it has to be mixed up with the, 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 the whatever it's salting. And so they're, they're very different, and, uh, and, and we'll talk about those differences a little more in a second. Um, but the first part of this verse talks about not hiding your light. And uh, when we started out talking about the two extremes of the Bible thumper and somebody who withdraws, if we're withdrawing from, from the world and we don't share our light, you know, this verse says, don't, don't do that. Don't hide your light. Uh, we've been given such a great gift of, of salvation and love and the Holy Spirit. It's all just, uh, it's not something that we, we should be able to hide if it's real. And, uh, and as, as I said, salt and light are very different. Salt is a crystalline structure. It sits there. It's it's matter, okay? It has to be mixed with something to be used. Light, on the other hand, travels 186,000 miles per second. It's really fast. It's energy. It moves. It can be reflected. It's not stationary. It's gone as soon as the light source is gone. So it's, it's, it's temporary. It shines out. It's very different. And these two differences, we're, we're being asked to be like two things that are very different, and that's kind of the duality. Salt and light is, is the Christian life. We have to do we, two things at once and hold them in tension. Now, about now, you're probably saying, okay, I get it, salt and light. I understand preserving. I understand reflecting and light. But what do we do with it? Okay. Well, I think there's two ways that we're salt and light. One is by example. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you. You have God's word. We study it. We make certain decisions in our lives and live a certain way that we feel is right. By that example, people see what we're doing. And we're different. And they're going to notice that we're different. And they're going to say, why is that person different? So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is, is that, well, we do got to open our mouth. 
Sometimes we've got to open up and, and say something. And, uh, and choosing the right time for that can be, can be difficult. So you have to be careful about that sometimes. But we do need to open our, our, our mouth in humility and grace. And, uh, and of course, if you didn't, you're not doing the first thing, you're not living a certain way, and you start talking about how you should live, well, it's not going to line up. So, you know, we kind of need to do the first thing first. Um, you know, when we, when we share with people like the Bible thumper friends that I have had in the past, um, there's some stuff that just kind of comes across wrong when that happens. And, uh, and we have to temper our, our saltiness, if you will, not to be less salty, but just in the way we present. And uh, sometimes we don't, we come across judge, judging and, uh, and not really expressing concern for the person. For instance, if, if you, if I knew you and you, uh, let's just say a, a couple, they were living together or having premarital sex, uh, I can talk about how the Bible says don't do that and judge them, but really, I'm mostly concerned with them as a person. I mean, that kind of intimacy in a temporary relationship is going to add and badly for somebody at least, one person, most likely. Um, it's, it's for my concern for them that this is a bad thing. Also, if they're a Christian, it's not a very good witness either. And so, <clears throat> you know, I think if we express our concern for people, it goes a lot further. Um, the other thing is, is that if you look at, I mean, I looked at, I was thinking about most of the sins that are outlined in the Bible. It's the same thing. It's bad for either you or bad for society. That's bad. Or, and it's a, it's, a, it's a bad witness. So for those two reasons, you know, uh, I think we have, to, we have to speak up sometimes. Um, let me make another comment about what I call earning the right to share. Sometimes we get in people's stuff and we have no right to do that, quite honestly. Um, you have to have a, a little bit of a relationship with a person. Now, some people, you can establish a relationship almost like that. It depends on the circumstances. But you have to be a little bit careful. You just can't start giving people advice, you know, no matter how well-intended it is. And, uh, and another part of that is, is, is convictions. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of truths in the Bible that are pretty, uh, pretty rock solid. You know, look down through the Ten Commandments. It's pretty solid. Thou shalt not. But uh, a lot of people have convictions. And, you know, what's a conviction? Well, a conviction is probably the best way I can describe that is, you know, when you ask somebody, you know, well, why do you believe that? And they say, well, you know, there's principles in the Bible that have been applied. And, um, and it's really obvious, even to casual observer. Yeah. If, when it's hard for them to go to a verse and say, this is exactly what the Bible says, it's probably a conviction. Now, convictions aren't bad, but just we need to make a distinction between convictions and doctrine. Because I may have a conviction about something, and you may have a slightly different conviction about it. And we have to recognize that our convictions may not be always the same. And I was uh, reminded of a, of a, a discussion that I had uh, with some of the leaders here. I'll let them remain nameless. But uh, we, were discuss- we had discussed uh, on a couple of different occasions uh, consumption of alcohol and smoking cigars. 
And uh, the interesting thing is, is that, uh, you know, some people would have a conviction that, uh, that all alcohol consumption is bad. And uh, somebody might have a, cons- a conviction that's not quite so strong. Um, and the same thing about cigarettes or, or, to- or any sort of tobacco use, uh, cigars. And while I would have agreed with, uh, you know, the occasional consumption of alcohol as being okay, I really don't feel like tobacco's okay. But I have to recognize that I have a conviction one way. This other person has a conviction the other way. If we opened up the Bible and said, well, where's there a verse about no smoking? I have to be honest that my conviction is not doctrine. And so I have to make allowances for that other person and their point of view. And not we, don't, we, can, we can disagree about our convictions, but it doesn't need to be a point of division between the body. And I think that's a, an in, a, a good point to make. Now, um, I was thinking about some people's convictions, and you may laugh at some of these, but I made a quick list uh, in my lifetime, some things. Uh, one time, long hair on men, there was a lot of people, that's a sin. Short hair on women, that's a sin. Working on Sundays, that's a, definitely a sin. All alcohol consumption is a sin. Dancing is a sin. Divorce is always a sin. Some jobs are sins. Only the King James Version of the Bible is correct. Yeah, this is kind of a funny one that I have to explain a little bit. Um, there's a, a verse in the Bible that talks about uh, a quiver, uh, referring in the context to children. And that a man's quiver is full, he's blessed. And I know of a certain uh, teacher uh, many years ago. He uh, had, took the position that, well, he found out that a quiver is eight, normally. And so, therefore, to be a fulfilled Christian man, you need to have eight children. Yeah, he'd been drinking the Kool-Aid. If you're old enough, you may remember a time when slacks on women were not allowed in the church. Even even the nice ones. (laughs) Jeans were right out. No, but but there was a time when I was a child where um, people's feelings about women dresses and women were changing and there were some older people who really felt like it was a sin now you look at that now I bring that up now because you laugh but there are people who are deadly serious about it and that's a good example of why we have to be careful about our convictions and it's important to stick to the essentials of, of what God's word says so um, really you know I mean that list took me 30 seconds to come up with it. I bet you I could make it longer. It's probably only limited by your ability to think of somebody's conviction and and put it on there. Now, I don't want anybody to think that I'm against convictions. I think they're absolutely necessary for us to live our Christian life. It defines us as Christians. It's the result of God working through us. And so what is not right for you or right for you for certain conviction is right for you. And I would support that conviction if somebody said, I'm opposed to all consumption of alcohol. I absolutely, absolutely support that. Um, But we have to recognize that 
the Bible speaks against drunkenness, but the Bible doesn't prohibit consumption of alcohol. That's a very important distinction to make. I can support your conviction. I do not want you to stumble when you talk about the weaker brother. Uh, that's another, another discussion, but I do not want them to stumble, so I would curtail my freedom, but I also uh, have to support their, their conviction and that because that's right for them. I wouldn't want them to do anything that's against their conscience. Um, now, <clears throat> some minors in here, please um, do not take what I said as license. Um, we have laws in this country against underage drinking. This is not, this is not a, a, a license. The other thing is, is that you live under your parents' house, even maybe after uh, you become legal, and they may have rules, and we need to... We need to respect those rules uh, as long as you're living under their house. So, so please don't use me as an excuse. Now, when it comes to, uh, to, to sharing, uh, um, you know, we, we, call, we call it witnessing sometimes. It means to give a witness. What's God, what has God done for you? You know, and I think that so often we think that oh, I've got to be a good order. I've got to, you know, um, I got to be a Bible scholar or a theologian or, or just I need to know a lot about the Bible in order to share. <clears throat> the word witness doesn't mean that. It means to, to talk about what God's doing in your life. And if you share what's real to you, someone can't dispute that. Your experience is your experience. Okay? So if you get into a discussion about you know what the Bible says about this or that, and that can be good, but the problem with that is is that they either can have a problem with the Bible or they don't really care. In either case, it's not going to be life-changing. And so if they want to have a discussion about the Bible and they're honest about it and it's life-changing, that's great. But a lot of times I think we try to take them to a place that they're not interested in. So sometimes it's just better to, to stick with your own experience. Now there's another verse... Um, that, that's useful, I think, on this subject because we're talking about like the Bible thumper side of things. Um, and that is uh, Colossians 4 6. And that verse says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know the so that you may know how to answer everyone. And I, the, I think the emphasis that we need to look at here it's full of grace and uh when i think about my bible thumper experiences with with people there's no grace there's no love no concern for the person and uh, and this is where i think we we overthink it um you just think about for a second if you're that person you're doing something that somebody else maybe thinks that needs to change, needs to be different. Do you want them to come to you in a condescending way and say, I wag their finger at them, don't do that? It's not going to be very effective. For me, what's effective is show me your life. Show me what you're doing different that makes your life different. How do you live? How does God's truth intersect your life? How is it working for you? And in that way, I think it's a lot more um, effective. We have a lot more influence with that method. Now, this, uh, 
This series that Ch- uh, Chad ha- started uh, is called uh, God and Country. And uh, so you're probably thinking, oh, how does this all relate? And, uh, and so let's see if I can tie that together for you. Um, most Christians and even some non-Christians would agree that living as a Christian has benefits. It's a good thing. Uh, it's individual. And as long as it stays individual, a lot of people don't have a problem with it. But you see, really, it's not individual. You are in contact with the world. Just as salt permeates beef jerky, you are, God's word permeates you, and you are in contact with that word, world, and it's going to rub off. And so it's not just personal. And, uh, and imagine for me, for a minute, what it would be like if all the Christians started living as salt and light in the world? How would it be different How would it affect your closest relationships? Your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your best friend, whatever. How would it make your church better? How would your children and spouse respect you more if you live that way? Might your work environment be more peaceful? And we're in the political season. Think about U.S. politics and some of the interesting individuals we have running. How would the political landscape look differently if Christians really exhibited salt and light in the culture? So, as we close, I'm reminded of a verse in Jeremiah, and uh, I don't have a slide for it. Micah 6 8. As he told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. So often we're willing to exercise justice, but we forget about loving kindness and being humble. So try to remember that. And uh, don't be a Bible thumper. And when you share with someone, put yourself in their shoes first. I'd like to offer a word of prayer before we close. Heavenly Father, I would just ask that the salt and light that has been discussed here would permeate every person here and that they would go out in the same way as be salt and light in the world. I ask this in your precious name. Amen. You're dismissed.